Live from Harrison County, West Virginia, we want to welcome you to the Healthy Harrison podcast. This is a show designed to help you change your state. I'm Amy Haberbosch-Wilson, president of the Healthy Harrison Board of Directors, and our co-host today is Healthy Harrison Board member Gary Belden. Welcome, Gary. Good to be here. We're streaming this program live on our Healthy Harrison Facebook page, as well as on the statewide distribution network of our media partner, WestVirginianews.com. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who in their personal or professional lives or both share the mission of Healthy Harrison, that being to foster measurable improvement to the health and well-being of the people in North Central West Virginia. Today, we want to welcome Berkeley County, West Virginia Sheriff Nathan Harmon. Welcome, Sheriff. Oh, thank you for having me, Amy and Gary. I appreciate it. Sheriff Harmon is a retired Marine, former West Virginia State Trooper, and former State Police in Reesville, West Virginia. As a law enforcement officer, Harmon's approach to the health and well-being of the community comes from a different angle than that of our guest's focus was mental health, fitness, and nutrition. As the sheriff emphasized during his election, he wants to be viewed as the people's sheriff and is thankful for the opportunity to serve, protect, and improve the community that he loves. And, and let's mention, Amy, that this is our first show done from a new studio, WV News Absolutely. Studio at the Exponent Telegram in Clarksburg. Correct, correct. As you can see, the sheriff is studio. remote with yeah. us, but uh, but we're in a new studio environment, so it's nice to be able to do it side yes, by it side. Is. Yes, thank you. Sheriff, let's start by having you track out your career for us and explain how you arrived at your current role at Berkeley County. Uh, well, um, starting, um, you know, with, you know, coming out of college, um, you know, I went directly into the Marines. Um, I really enjoyed the four years that I had with the Marines. I experienced um, uh, special operations tactics with the Marines. I, I was part of a security forces element based out of uh, Yorktown Naval Weapons Station in Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, so we were tasked with safeguarding special weapons and that's where I got introduced to, um, what's commonly referred to special weapons and tactics SWAT, uh, really took on to that. Um, and I really appreciated the, the, um, security aspect to what the Marines provided on base, uh, very similarly to, uh, military police. Um, so coming out of the Marines, because I couldn't, I couldn't re-enlist to do that. It's the way the billets work with the, what I was doing. So I decided to come out. Uh, I worked, uh, in construction for a few years, but during that time I was testing for the state police. It was very difficult back then. Um, you know, you, you, you were competing with an applicant, uh, pool of about 3000 folks. Um, and I finally passed everything, got in, got accepted, and uh, you know, one, my family's in Morgantown, so obviously Morgantown, uh, Mongolia County was one of the uh, counties that I chosen out of my glorious wish list of three, and uh, none of which occurred. So I got stationed up here in Martinsburg, and <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I I would never have it any other way. Uh, the Martinsburg State Police Detachments, one of the busiest detachments in the entire state uh, in, in, in terms of whatever it is that you wanted to do. Any aspect of criminal investigation, uh, fraud, uh, everything was here. And uh, I garnered a lot of experience from that. Um, wanted to, uh, a couple of friends of mine had ventured into 
uh, more of executive protection work while I was in the state police. So about 2006, I went uh, and, and joined a um, personal protection uh, company to supply protection to diplomats and government personnel overseas. Uh, I, was, I had the privilege of doing two ambassadors in Iraq, and uh, one was Zalmay Khalilzad. I believe he's in Afghanistan now. Uh, he was the when he was the ambassador of Iraq, and then Ryan Crocker when okay. he was the ambassador of Iraq. Um, again, garnered a lot of experience from that. Came back uh, to the United States, wanted to stay a little bit more domestic, so I partnered with the State Department with some of the similar companies I worked for overseas, and uh, they had contracts that would teach uh, foreign law enforcement and military personnel how to mitigate a terrorist incident. So again, that was in my purview of, of tactics and security. Um, I went from that to uh, doing a contract in New York for the Koch family, uh, really interesting work. Uh, when you're worth $21 billion. <laughs> so it's a, it's a different world. Uh, so I worked in Manhattan for a couple of years and um, decided to, that living out of a hotel and traveling back and forth was not for me anymore and uh, wanted to stay home. So I kind of found the best kept secret I felt in uh, Jefferson County called, uh, at the time, BSR Summit Point Training Center. Um, it's a motorsports park, and I had no idea that they actually taught firearms, security, uh, um, agent uh, curriculum, and driver's training in terms of motorcades and, and emergency vehicle operation training. But once I, once I, I found that, of course, uh, a friend of mine had went to the company a year prior to me leaving, and I, I touched base with him and uh, got a chance to work up there. And I was up there for about eight years. Uh, we worked a lot with civilians, military and law enforcement. So once I got back, um, I, uh, I really started noticing the morale and, and, and uh, of the law enforcement officers that would assist us with different training evolutions there at the training center. And, uh, it, it got to me to the point, especially seeing the national mantra where it was going, it got to me to the point where uh, I had uh, conversations with a very good friend of mine, Scott Myers, who had ran uh, several years prior uh, for sheriff. Um, and we got to talking. Uh, unfortunately, he fell ill and succumbed to his uh, illness, and uh, which inspired me even more because I wanted his uh, inspiration, his, his, um, heartfelt concerns for the community. We saw eye to eye on those things. And I wanted to carry that further. And I was like, well, I'm going to run. Um, I, I don't have a big name. I don't own several businesses. I'm not, I don't have a, a whole lot of money, but you know what? I, I'm going to go out there and we'll speak from the heart, what I want to do, what my plan is moving forward. And, and I'm going to let the people decide and, and thank God, uh, at the end, um, you know, I was, I was deemed, uh, you know, I was voted sheriff and, and I gotta be honest with you. It's a different day every day. I'm having fun every single day. Uh, I, I wouldn't turn back. I don't regret it at all. That's great. It's, it hits a little close to home for me, I guess. My husband, 30 years law enforcement, um, as well as MP in the, in the army and he was deployed. So I, 
can somewhat give my opinion to some of these questions as well. But yeah. as a law enforcement officer has always had to carry a level of courage and smarts and, and self-control. I guess the tough question is in 2022, is it harder than ever? And what other traits do officers have to call on every day? Well, I mean, I, you know, that is a, a, one of the issues that I, I wanted to address, address coming in because I saw us wearing more and more hats. Um, you know, at times we can be uh, parents, you know, and this is work related, you know, we're parents outside of this uniform, but uh, we're parents also coming on the job. We're counselors coming on the job, social workers, therapists, um, marriage counselors uh, for domestics and different things. And, you know, um, it, it, it was very overwhelming to see how many hats we were wearing and, and, and more to come. Um, it, it's, I feel that, that to help address that, um, you know, one of the, the gaps that I saw was Berkeley County, um, has many, many resources in the area. And I didn't want to recreate the wheel on something or duplicate a service that was already being provided. It's just more or less marrying those relationships and, and collaborating with these other organizations that I have found, um, is extremely beneficial when it comes to doing our job. Um, we have the VA Medical Center over here. So we have a lot of veterans in our area and partnering with folks like Battle Buddy Response Group, who's a nonprofit that can actually come to a call with us. And once we deem the situation safe, we can do that warm handover, so to speak, to those that are subject matter experts with PTSD and other things. Oh, cool. And we can, and, and instead of just leaving uh, and I wouldn't say haphazardly, dealing with the situation with the best we could and, and now only to return again to maybe something worse. Um, so instead of going to these repeated calls, um, you know, partnering with these entities that are, are here or maybe even in other counties and, and speaking and talking and sitting at the table with these folks and saying, identifying what resources they can offer and we can partner with. Um, it, I found that to be a tremendous help uh, in helping dealing with these tasks and extra duties that we've been having to deal with, especially with COVID. Nate, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are in West Virginia as it pertains to health and public safety and from your interaction with other sheriffs and law enforcement officers around the state is it is it different in different parts of the state um you know i've i've, I've been to different parts of the state especially as a trooper and, and traveling you know abroad um it, it depends on the community really i mean if it seems more rural area when i was chief of reesville police department and that's you know a little spot there between morgantown and fairmont off of route 19 you know the reesville community i mean it had a population of close to a thousand but it seems the closer the the more rural the area the closer connected the community is um and that's because i think um they have a better way of communicating, you know, because you, you have to, you know, you're, you're a smaller group. You, you don't have all these, you're, you're not, uh, you're not, you don't have a lot, a lot of large businesses or anything that gives grants to the area and stuff. So you rely on each other a lot more. Um, 
And that's what I've been trying to do here in terms of transparency, communicating with the public, keeping them informed on what their law enforcement agency is doing so they can have a better understanding, a more holistic look, I should say, uh, in terms of what an officer or a deputy has to deal with and what they're exposed to on a daily basis. Um, that's one, letting your community know what um, your law enforcement agency is doing um, to better keep safeguard uh, the public and, and the, them, the citizens. Uh, but at the same time, exposing them to a little bit of what we're exposed to. Uh, we have what's called PD Live here. Um, we're, we're revamping that to more of a virtual ride along because there's issues when we have someone in the vehicle with us. But I'm a true believer in showing folks what our officers are responding to. And, and so we're, I'm, I'm happy to say we're working with local broadcast stations here to continue that and polish on that so they can continue to see. Uh, it's very much like cops, uh, cops on TV. So um, I think showing that uh, also garners support with mental health when it comes to our officers and having programs in place like Healthy uh, Harrison, like Healthy Berkeley, right. um, being an advocate of those programs and making sure that our deputies have that conduit to be able to reach out when they need to because there's it, it's so disheartening to see uh such a tragic loss when you have officers that either take their own life or or worse self-medicate because of issues that they seemingly just by their own volition feel that they can't deal with so offering pastoral services to them uh, promoting COPS line, which is a 1-800 number that is a national service that's provided free of charge for the officers, and having a health and well-being program here within the department. I think that's the number two part for sure. We all, we all know that, well, you know, I guess, it, because of your um, uh, connection to Healthy Berkeley, which is very similar to uh, Healthy Harrison, um, that we're focused on helping uh, individuals in the community live happy and healthier lives. Uh, in West Virginia, for a lot of folks, living happier and healthier um, uh, revolves around uh, hunting and, and gun ownership, things like that. However, that leads to an unhealthy aspect in the fact that we have still numerous deaths in our state related to guns. How does a community help drop that number down? I think it was like over 300, the latest data we saw from 2019. How does a community address that? Well, I, one, uh, first and foremost, education. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to promote and advocate training uh, so much so to where we're, we're negating the average citizen from going out buying a gun for in the spirit of home protection buying that, that weapon and then throwing it on their shelf, uh, never to be used again, other than you're shooting your glorious five rounds to get your permit, if that's something, I mean, we're a permitless state, we're constitutional carry. I'm a huge advocate of second amendment. I, I consider myself a constitutional sheriff, but I think if you purchase a weapon, throw it on the shelf, never to be used again, unless you're woken up at two in the morning in an emergency situation, a low light situation, under stress, you don't know who's in your house, heart rates up, without having any stress-induced style type of training, 
uh, and doing just a check the box bare minimum is irresponsible. So I, I want to be able to promote more proactive, relevant, best practice style training. So our department is actually here in March. We're going to start offering to the first time, to my knowledge, uh, and advocate for a two-hour weapons handling and safety course to our citizens free of charge. Great. Uh, granted, you don't shoot a single round. This is not a live fire style training. Uh, uh, we can get into that down the road. However, this is just more of this is the weapon. This is the business end. This is this is the can be this is considered a safety. My finger, um, you know, how do I handle it? You know, and, and, and put folks in low light situations just to experience. It. And that could be so much as turning off the lights in a classroom. Uh, and it, so they can experience these things and and getting them uh, the information that they need to help better themselves when they do go to a range and point them in the right direction on how to uh, seek proactive uh, training uh, evolutions. And there's, there's plenty of training entities around. Um, I just want our citizen, I want to equip our citizens to make uh, good choices and informative choices to be able to handle that weapon safely and, and be able to manipulate it how they want to, pointing it in a safe direction. Because there's, I can tell you plenty of horror stories as a firearms instructor myself uh, of things that I've seen uh, uh, studies that I've done and it's, 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 it's not good. I mean, yeah. even your most experienced folks have accidents. So, uh, we need to continue to practice the four firearm universal firearm safety rules. What are they? And instill those in the public so they can be better equipped because a lot of those 384, uh, unfortunate deaths, uh, in the state is, is largely contributed to accidental discharges. Yeah. Well, real quick, I want to remind everyone, this podcast is brought to you by WVU Medicine, UHC, WVU, The State Journal, WestVirginianews.com, and Interaction Media. Today, we're talking with the Berkeley, uh, Berkeley County Sheriff, Nathan Harmon. Sheriff, another area where we can always improve uh, community safety is on our roads. You've partnered with WVU Medicine to tackle this issue. So you want to, could you explain to us like how that works? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I consider myself very preventative versus reactive. Uh, and, and before we could even really get uh, moving with some initiatives that we have in place now, uh, unfortunately, we've, we've had fatalities on I-81. Um, very much uh, near and dear to my heart was the fatality that occurred in February of 2021, where we had a very, uh, unique downpour of rain on the interstate near the 2022 20, mile marker southbound. And we had vehicles hydroplaning off the road. Uh, uh, one vehicle left the road. They, it hit a, a parked tractor trailer. Uh, citizens wanting to help saw what occurred, got out, parked themselves and got out and was wanting to assist. And unfortunately we had two more vehicles, uh, in succession uh, have the same thing happen. And unfortunately, those two vehicles, one of the two vehicles actually hit the pedestrians wanting to help mm. and, and subsequently caused that, uh, them to, uh, to die. Um, that was near and dear to me because it was just something that I found to be so horrific. Um, I spoke out about it and uh, it, it caught the governor's attention. I'm glad 
um, and, and it caught our senators and delegates' attention. I started getting phone calls, um, and, and WVU Medicine, uh, Dr. Turner uh, called me, and we decided the best thing to do was to do an ID1 traffic safety initiative. And this composed of, of members from WVU Medicine, members from the West Virginia State Police, my office, um, the county commission uh, was, was supportive of it. Several businesses in the area were supportive of it and advocated for it, wrote letters of support it, to get Charleston to uh, provide more resources to our area so we can fix these things. Um, so that was the spirit behind the initiative. It's unfortunate that it took an incident like that to, to get that off the ground, but I am proud to say that we've gotten a lot of traction from that. Um, I advocated purchasing all traffic solution devices, which are message boards, but at the same time, data collection boards as well. State of West Virginia doesn't allow photographic equipment to enforce traffic. Uh, uh, we're well aware of that. Um, these machines do not do that, but they do give you a lot of data in terms of how big the problem is in the county or on the interstate or secondary roads and whatnot. Um, it collects data when the machine, when the message board is off, so it doesn't look like it's on, but it's collecting data. It sends information to the traffic cloud, and then we subsequently analyze that data. Is there truly a problem here? Um, let's turn the machine on. Let's see how well it's slowing down, folks, um, because speed does contribute to those issues. Like I said, the hydroplaning, if we don't identify the pulling water in the roadway and we're going really, we're going at, at dry road speeds and at 70 plus miles an hour through a pool of water, it's not going to work out too well in terms of, of what, you know, how to mitigate that kind of situation. So one, get the information out there. Let's collect the data. Let's see what, how big the problem is through um, uh, technology. And then let's start educating the public by launching uh, uh, videos with myself, the state police, uh, where we've went and we've talked about certain traffic codes, following too closely, improper lane changes, uh, speeding, self-explanatory, but um, you know, where commercial vehicles of 8,000 pounds or more need to be uh, instead of restricting lanes, maybe possibly reducing speed limits from uh, for commercial vehicles from 70 to 65 or even 60, uh, and putting more signage out there in regards to distracted driving, seatbelts, truck, uh, commercial vehicle lane restrictions, and message boards. Because when an interstate accident occurs, uh, <laughs> I got to say, it, it, it floods the secondary roads. And there's some a lot of roads that we have here that commercial vehicles just can't be on. And it causes additional problems um, across the board. So our, that initiative was to... Um, and I'm proud to say that the all traffic solution devices, when we analyzed the data, had an upwards of a 78 to an 88 percent effective rate of folks that saw the sign. I realize I'm speeding. I'm going to slow down uh, type of, of, of response. Um, of course, these machines have a little extra eye candy to them. Uh, if you are going a certain like 10 or more over the speed limit, the red and blue strobes flash and get your attention and the, your mind runs the whole gamut of things like did my picture just get taken is a cop coming out to get me now uh and it doesn't neither of those things but it gets them to slow down 
And, th and that's the idea. So it had upwards of 78 to 88% effective rate of slowing folks down. We all live busy lives. We're out there, we're thinking about the nine o'clock meeting. I get it. And it's just that reminder, along with the education and reminding folks of how bad this issue is. I think that's that was the spirit of the initiative. And getting, uh, I'll, I'll use one example. Um, in the state of West Virginia, in work zones, uh, it's a lot across the state. You had 55 miles an hour posted speed limit signs, but it, the problem we had is it said when flashing. So you had these yellow lights that had to be working and functional, right, right, in order to enforce that speed limit. Well, no, no bust on Department of Highways, but I mean, a lot of times the battery wouldn't work, it wouldn't solar power, yeah. whatever the case was, but. From the enforcement side of things, you can't enforce that. Yeah. If it's not functioning completely, you can't enforce it. So we got the uh, commissioner, the transportation commissioner from Charleston to hear us. And he uh, they put out a letter from the commissioner that said, regardless, uh, you know, in, in work zones, it's 55 miles an hour. No flashing lights needed. It's 55 miles an hour. And he put that out in our work zones when the work zones were up. Hmm. Is this program far enough along to do it in other areas of the state? I can tell you that our all traffic solution devices, we were blessed with the county commission purchasing one and, and through uh, our funds, we purchased one. So we have two. And after, I guess, piloting them and seeing how well they did, uh, we've got the attention of the governor's highway safety program. And they, I put on a presentation up here in our office for them and their grant writers and uh, they love them. So there, uh, there is expressed interest in purchasing these devices more so for uh, as part of a region. Uh, and our region is region eight and it comprises of eight counties. And so they are looking at the idea of purchasing these machines to, to help these regions throughout the state. While we're on road safety, let's, um, let's address the state's click it or ticket program. Uh, we still have way too many deaths in the state uh, related to unrestrained vehicle occupants. Uh, is click it or ticket working? And, and why are people not willing to strap in? Is it like our COVID crisis? Is it a personal freedom issue or is it just laziness? I think it's a combination of all of it. I, I, you know, we all enjoy our personal freedom of choice and I would have never take that from anybody. Um, we've, we've had fatalities here, you know, uh, that I can immediately think of where folks were ejected due to not wearing their seatbelt. Mm -hmm. It's very unfortunate. Again, I think we need to do more in putting it out there. I think these blitzes, so to speak, that the governor highway safety program does, throughout the year, whether it be July 4th or, you know, or, or you know, independence, you know, all these blitzes, they're great. Uh, COVID has definitely, I think, slowed things down a bit. I think we need to pick it back up. I, I, again, I think it's more of an informative uh, issue, uh, putting, putting the information out there. Because when the, when the click it or ticket program initially came out, you had upwards of a 93% additional seatbelt usage when they did the study. 
Um, so if it works, mm-hmm. um, I just think that, you know, when, when you start an initiative, it's great. Everything's going well. It's got good traction. And then over the years, it kind of just stair, te- stair steps downward and, and the efforts kind of lost a little bit. Um, COVID has definitely not helped. But the other issue that you deal with is I'll use my department, for example. I have uh, 66 deputies um, and we you know, these folks are working 10 hour shifts four 10 hour shifts. And we've got a lot of initiatives going on uh, that, you know, that require uh, additional time that they need to spend, whether it be high school uh, athlete functions or, you know, sports or whatnot, or other things that, that we have going on here that we need to take care of. And so uh, I think manpower can be an issue and can directly affect uh, these initiatives. I mean, you got to have the manpower to do it. You can't work someone to death um, and, and expect them to go out there for another four hours uh, and do these things. So I, I think it's a, you're seeing the ripple effect of many things that's caused uh, the seatbelt uses to go down. But I think we need to pick it back up. I think the informative side of things, promoting the program and, and getting it where it was at its beginning is what we need to do. Most of what I've seen related to that click it or ticket has been through television PSAs, billboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could local municipalities, counties, community organizations be doing to help law enforcement uh, see better performance in this area? Well, you know, social media platforms are great. You got Instagram, you got Facebook, you've got, I mean, I think now let's use the technology. Let's partner together. Let's get me in front of the camera along with state police, along with the chief of police. Let's start advocating for these things. Gone are the days where we can say, oh, we're too busy. You can't be too busy. You got to get out because it's costing lives. And we need to sit down and, and it's like the initiative with WVU Medicine. They have an awesome marketing program. Uh, the first video that came out was, was a very good quality video that came out. We're getting ready to launch the second one. You'll see that soon where it's where we have, where you'll see myself, you'll see Sergeant Faircloth from the West Virginia State Police, where we took the camera crew actually out there on the roadway so they could see the violations that we were seeing out there. And if if you don't, and then the departments themselves, I mean, again, the manpower issue and being able to go out there and enforce traffic, because if you have no one out there enforcing it, if there's no deterrent, then it's just going to run amok. And I think, again, that's what you've seen over a period of time. So communities can come together and support these initiatives. Uh, you've got plenty of organizations on Facebook and stuff that tout other efforts and stuff in different areas. I think that can happen. I think collaboration and partnership with other uh, county councils, municipal councilmen, mayors, uh, the governor. Right. Um, the, we all need to be on board. Hey, hey, Nate, we're just about out of time, but I, I, I wanted to get a little personal one in here. We mentioned before we started uh, the program that uh, you personally got involved with uh, Dana DeJarnette's uh, Healthy Berkeley program in that area. Dana, we had on our show a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, let's tell us how you personally got involved and why. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, 
coming in, you know, I, I did, I think a large part of our mental well-being is uh, encompassed around our physical well-being. If we're healthy and we're taking care of ourselves, for me personally, I can tell you it goes such a long way. I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I'm 47 years of age. I feel every bad thing I did as a kid uh, <laughs> that I probably should have done. And, you know, I don't heal as fast. So my, yeah, I got lower back issues. I got knee issues. And I got to tell you, whenever I get up at four in the morning and do these things, it's, it's, it's revitalizing. I mean, it, it helps me think better. Uh, uh, my joints aren't as stiff. I keep moving. My back doesn't hurt as bad. Uh, I don't have episodes with my back as much at all. Um, uh, so, uh, but from a leadership perspective, I think you can, you can talk about it all day long, but go out there and, and, and put your, put, put your, put an investment into what you're saying personally. And when you lead by example like that and, uh, I think that it's it, it, it speaks volumes when you don't have to even say anything. Um, I can say that um, it, it's a the the Healthy Harrison program, the Healthy Berkeley program. It's 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 um, I'll apologize to Dana right off the bat because I accidentally I'm not that tech savvy. And I think I put in there I started off at 247. Now I'm down to 217 or something. And I. That I fat thumbed it. So it's definitely, I haven't lost 30 pounds so far. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. Uh, so, but I did correct that, but mm-hmm. I have lost a few. And, but the biggest part is that I've noticed that um, having a structured schedule and, and accountability for yourself, like goals that you put for yourself, whether it's drinking, you know, a certain amount of water or, or doing something kind or saying something kind at least one time a day, uh, and goals of, of that nature. Um, th- there's no negative side to that. It, it just helps, uh, in general, just getting your day started. Um, whether you, if you work out in the morning or whether you work out in the evening, regardless, um, you know, I felt the benefits of it. I'm touting it here amongst the deputies, uh, to, to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, when you have that kind of schedule to keep you on track, uh, it's it's uh, it's it does wonders. And I'm, I'm very much a fan of. Well, congratulations and keep at it, because I can assure you from personal experience, add 20 more years and that back is not going to feel any looser. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly noted. Accountability. And uh, as we learned, micro resolutions. So. Thank you. We're talking to Berkeley County Sheriff Nathan Harmon. Thank you, Sheriff. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. We want to thank everyone for joining us today for the Healthy Harrison podcast. It is our goal to change your state of mind and ultimately change the state of health here in West Virginia. If you want more help right now, you can visit thehealthyharrison.org or visit the Healthy Harrison Facebook page and give us a like. You'll find lots of support and you can stream past episodes of our podcast on the Facebook page. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, Western University, The State Journal, WVUNews.com, and Interaction Media. On behalf of Healthy Harrison, Gary and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Next week, we'll be talking with Dark, Dr. Mark Pavroznik, Pavroznik <laughs> Quality Chief Officer and Chairman of Infection Prevention at United Hospital Center. If you've ever thought, I don't know how to get started, Join us for the Healthy Harrison podcast every week. Our guests will set you on the path toward happier, healthier living. See you next time, everyone.